Welcome to the Business of Agriculture, a podcast with me, your host, Damian Mason, where we discuss the issues impacting the business of food, fuel, fiber, and farming. I've got a friend of the show returning. That's right. Only episode number 25 or 6, and you've got a friend of the show? Absolutely, I do, because the man's brilliant. He's also a friend of mine. His name is Rob Syke. You might remember him from episode number 12, where we talked about innovation and GMOs. That's kind of what he's known for. He's an innovation guy. He's a GMO guy. He's an ag entrepreneur. He started a company called AgriTrend, sold it to Trimble. He is involved in a farm in Africa. He's an agricultural, entrepreneurial, innovative guy, and that's why he's a friend of the show as well as a friend of Damian P. Mason. Not just because of that. I actually like hanging out with him. The first Ukrainian-Canadian I can say that I've drank beer with. <laughs> okay, maybe not. Anyway, welcome to the show, Rob Syke. That's great to be here. But good to be back. Episode 12 now. Episode number what? 25 or 25. 6. 25. My God, that's great. Good for you. I like listening to your shows and, and tuning into your podcasts. It's good to see you. This is the first time, dear listeners, that we have ever had an ag Business of Ag podcast audience. That's right. We're doing this live in the studio here at the offices of Executive Entertainment, Daily Rosa Farms West, Properties by Mason and Boyana Bike Publishing. Those are all four of my companies, in case you're wondering. Four of my companies. And we're here in the Arizona office because Mr. Rob Syke, as well as me, are part-time We have Arizonans. our Lori, Lori Squareds here. Yes. And got, they're not the squared, but there's two of them. we got your Lori and my Lori sitting in listening because they're like, what do these guys do? And first off, why do people pay them to talk? It must be brilliant of course they hear us for free that's right <laughs> all right so here we are in the offices of executive entertainment recording this podcast for you and we're going to talk about something today that is i think a brilliant concept and if you are in the business of agriculture which presumably you are which is why you're listening to this podcast you're thinking all right what are these guys going to talk about today we're going to talk about the future and we're also going to talk about the past of the business of agriculture. Rob has a concept, and it's called Agriculture 5.0. He's got a book in the works. It's outlined right now. It's in his head. He's got some notes on it. And I said, put this book together because the business of agriculture needs to read this book. They need to hear this book. They need to discuss this issue. Agriculture 5.0. I say it should be called Food 5.0 so you'll get broader readership. Whether you call it Food 5.0, Agriculture 5.0, makes no difference to me. That's what we're discussing today. The future, we're talking about size and scale, we're talking about consumer issues, we're talking about niche agriculture, we're talking about what ag companies get right and wrong, we're talking about the future of ag and ag 5.0 with Rob Syke. Thank you for joining us. Mr. Rob, talk to me. Right, well, you've made a point, and that is, should we call it agriculture 5.0, or should we call it food 5.0, and maybe your, your listeners can help. Maybe we can get some response back and figure out which way they this should go. So as we get started on this, Damien, I want to talk you through what I think are the five iterations of agriculture. So, By the way, if yeah. you're listening and you do have an opinion, after you've heard this, what is the proper book title? Is it right. Agriculture 5.0 or Food 5.0? And I've got a subtitle in mind that I already shared with Rob, but I want to hear your thoughts also. So listen to this. You're going to enjoy it. Go. All what right. are the five iterations of the business of agriculture. Well, you and I are old enough to remember where agriculture came from, and that was the era of muscle. And there's still a large swath of agriculture on the planet that lives in agriculture 1.0, which is the era of muscle. So that's really uh, oxen and horses and human muscle. It's hard work. It's drudgery. 
Um, that's where it started. And paradoxically, Damien, there are a lot of people that want us to go back to the era of agriculture 1.0. Um, but there's uh, uh, a lot of people wanting to get out of it. First off, a Ukrainian-Canadian from Alberta using the word paradoxically almost just threw me off the table right here. <laughs> but uh, let's go about this. If you're a, a, in the business of agriculture and you're listening to this, you're like, yeah, you know, I'm a seed salesperson. Oh, I work for, uh, you know, an equipment manufacturer. Hey, I'm a farm person. What's this guy talking about? What we're really talking about here in Rob's concept is there's the five iterations of where agriculture goes. And his first iteration, the era of muscle, really, when you think about it, was the predominant mode of agriculture for the bulk of its 10,000 years. Okay, somewhere in Mesopotamia, somewhere in the Fertile Crescent, Man, or woman, because it's not popular to say just mankind, humans began settling down. They went from being hunters and gatherers. They went from being, uh, you know, chasing animals into a, a ditch and, and shooting them and beating them with rocks. They said, there's got to be an easier way. They invented agriculture. 10,000 years ago, we invented agriculture, cultivating the land, putting seeds, sowing seeds, saving seeds back, genetic involvement, all this kind of stuff. But really, it was always about muscle until... 40 years ago. Right. So that ago. really provided us with the second iteration of agriculture, agriculture 2.0, which we still have today, which is the era of the machine. So it was the era of the steam engine. I remember back on the farm uh, when I was growing up, my, my I remember actually seeing uh, a, a threshing machine in operation. This was not a self-propelled combine. This was a harvester that was stationary where you would bring the stooks and put them in and it was driven by a flywheel off of a steam engine tractor or a, a diesel tractor. But that was really the beginning of Agriculture 2.0, which was the era of machine. And we're still in that iteration of agriculture, of course. It's still very important today, uh, but we continue to move forward. You ever notice once a new development comes along, it doesn't necessarily extinct or, or uh, replace completely the prior era, meaning we still do use muscle. Obviously, the United States of America right now has a little bit of an issue with whether we're going to have a worker, a guest worker program with our whole uh, immigration battle. We still need muscle to go out and do certain things that are muscle oriented. We still use machines. So your point is one builds upon the other. The other, but it doesn't replace and, it And if you think about agriculture today, modern agriculture today, what's one of the pinch points in any agriculture relying significantly on human muscle? It's the labor component that is killing a lot of that, uh, that agriculture right now. It's a significant pinch point. So if you're relying on the era of muscle, it's... Uh, uh, farmers are looking to replace that with machines as much as they can because it's just hard to find qualified labor. And it's it's the old thing. I mean, people will say, oh, nobody wants to work anymore. Y you know, we can gripe about that all day long. But, you know, McDonald's is also putting in uh, touchpads and kiosks. So it's not just that nobody wants to bale hay or nobody wants to uh, pull weeds in a carrot field. It's the entire world that is getting more mechanized. So agriculture 2.0, the more mechanized, the more productive, the less people you need, the less labor. And we've seen uh, that uh, pinch point of labor result in the scaling of equipment. So why are sprayers 120 uh, feet in, in, in boom length? Why do we have sprayers that are so big? Well, because if you get a qualified operator, you're not going to put them on a 60-foot sprayer. You put them on a 120-foot sprayer. Because you can cover twice you, the you, land. You run, you run them at 12 miles an hour. That's what you're doing. And, and so as labor has gotten uh, qualified labor, uh, uh, qualified operators has gotten tighter, 
uh, equipment has gotten bigger and bigger. It's and, kind of interesting. And obviously, we need less and less people, which is the gripe. And, you know, there's a lot of folks outside of agriculture that are going to say, Rob, you know, the problem is you just can't make it as a little guy. The problem is you just can't do this, can't do this. Well, let's be realistic. The reality is everything over time gets easier to produce. I will say that again, agriculture, everything over time gets easier to produce because we get better at it. We so what's this podcast called, Damien? The Business, the business of, of agriculture. agriculture. It's called The Business, and business relies on economies of scale, and farming is not exempt from that. It's part of the economic model, and as you can do things more efficiently with larger equipment and a lower labor costs, you will gravitate in that direction. So that's, you know, uh, Agriculture 1.0, which is the era of muscle, Agriculture 2.0, the era of the machine. Tell me about... By the way, we're talking to Rob Syke. In case you just decided to step away, pour yourself a drink, came back to it, and you forgot. This is Rob Syke, ag innovator, entrepreneur, guest, and friend of show. And we're talking about Agriculture 5.0, which might also be called Food 5.0 for his upcoming book. We're going to let you weigh in on that. Tell me about, okay, yes, you said muscle, then Machine. machinery. Tell me the third iteration of agriculture. The third iteration of agriculture uh, I refer to as the uh, is a era of chemistry, or you might call it the green revolution. It's the era where we started to have uh, hybridization of crops. Uh, Semi dwarf wheats came into existence. But Damien, the really the real big thing in this era of agriculture uh, was the Haber Bosch process. So that really wait a minute. Hold on. Is, oh, wait, is the in studio audience catching that? Yeah. Right wait now, a minute. Right now, when you bring out. Chalkboard, Haberbosch. 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 Yeah, it's not a motorcycle game. Okay, Haberbosch. I, mean, I, I would argue that the Haberbosch uh, process is, or process, depending what side of the border you're on. Yes, Canadians uh, call it process. If you're listening, I, to I this use the word process. That's good. You're so an American. Haberbosch, arguably, I would I would suggest is one of the most important inventions in human history. It is with with. Uh, the air we breathe is 78% nitrogen, so literally every breath you make and every move you take should be a song or something. But those things are uh, when you take uh, inert nitrogen that you breathe with every breath and you fix it into uh, uh, fertilizer, such as in ammonia or urea, that is the Haber-Bosch process that uses natural gas and catalysts to do that. And it's estimated that 50% of the protein in every single human being on the planet owes its protein to Haber-Bosch. That means that half of the protein in every man, woman, and child on the planet owes its protein to Haber-Bosch. It's that important. It's also the era... Wait a of, minute. Yeah. Is that important to convert nitrogen... Is that important? To convert nitrogen to something that a plant can use, that then an animal can use? Is that what I'm hearing? Well, anytime that you are trying to provide uh, protein uh, and, and grow protein in crops or have the crops fed to animals which generate protein for the human diet, uh, that protein has got to come from somewhere. And nitrogen actually is the Achilles heel of if you stare out at an organic, uh, an organic farming um, economy long term, if we all went that route, one of the Achilles heel is nitrogen and without an external synthetic source of nitrogen and hopefully one day we'll be able to have all the plants fixing their own nitrogen we can talk about that but right now uh, without an external source of nitrogen uh, we're, we're in trouble so the era of chemistry agriculture 3.0 was Haber-Bosch fertilizer uh, monoammonium phosphate uh, diammonium phosphate uh, potash sulfur uh, all your fertilizers and also the era of 240 and trifluralin and trilate and all the chemistry that came out 
uh, in the 50s and 60s that allow farmers to try to uh, control weeds and diseases in insects. That all is the third iteration of agriculture, which is 3.0. And again, uh, like we're still in agriculture 2.0, the machine industry era, we're still involved in the chemistry era or the green revolution today. Yeah, again, if, if you're saying, wait a minute, you know, are we still there? Again, what you, when, when human advancement is such that we still use elements of the very beginning. We still use muscle. We obviously are still in machinery. We still, one piles upon the other, which is why we're so amazingly productive. Were it not for us and our ability to pile one on the other, we wouldn't be feeding seven and a half billion people on Earth right on now. On our way to 10 or whatever it is. Yeah, which I disagree with. And I, yeah. I, I did uh, point out once that we're not going to have 10 billion people because the more affluent a culture becomes, the, the less lower the breed. birth rate. And we yeah. know that we've got half the population, almost well, over 40% just right there in India and China, and they're not breeding like they once did. Uh, Haberbosch, a couple of things just, uh, you know, if you're listening and you're saying, what am I getting out of this? Write down the word Haberbosch, but more importantly... How many of you remember from high school chemistry or from any science class you might have taken that the environment that we, the air that we breathe is 78% nitrogen, about 21% oxygen, and then about 1% made of all these other inert gases. Uh, we have 78% of our air is nitrogen, yet it's our one of our biggest expenses on fertilization. So it's there, it's just not in a usable source. Well, exactly. And so we, uh, you know, we depend on um, Haberbosch, we depend on nitrogen and fertilizers to fertilize our crops. One of the things that I spend my time doing, Damien, as an agronomist working with farmers, is to try to uh, make sure that we're utilizing the fertilizer efficiently. What I mean by that is, uh, I, I mentioned that it's one of the biggest uh, advancements in agriculture and it's still one of our biggest uh, problems in agriculture because globally, um, like in Canada where I come from in the prairies, we're probably 70% inefficient. Uh, in the Midwest, you're probably about 60% inefficient, but a lot of parts of the planet... Explain, explain inefficient, in, because the person it, listening it, right now is going to say, wait a minute, I'm efficient. No, 70% efficient is good. It means you're utilizing about 70% of your end, but a lot of places in the world are about 30% efficient, which means about 70% of the nitrogen is making its way to the environment. That's not good. So we're Not good for anybody. We're going through the work of getting the nitrogen in a usable source, putting it where the plant should be able to use it, but then we're still not actually... Well, and you combine that with the right uh, right timing and the right placement. Of course, you're talking about for our nutrient strategy, which we're pushing towards to make farmers utilize inputs better. So anyways, okay, that's, well, the, that's the agriculture 3.0 iteration. All right, so we've got... Muscle. We know that that was the bulk of advancement for the for the nine thousand of the ten thousand years. I mean, finally they started doing better with seed selection. They started doing better with genetic selection. You know, the the animals breeding, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Then we started. You know, our, our good friend Eli Whitney, uh, our good friend John Deere. Uh, the people that said, you know, Mr. McCormick, that said, we can do better. We're going to make machines that can do the work of 10 men. All right, go put those guys out of work. No, what we're really going to do is make it so we can feed a hungry planet. And then chemistry. I love the fact you mentioned 2,4-D, one of my favorite chemicals, been around for 60 to 70 years and still using derivatives of it for weed control. Tell me what is the fourth iteration the fourth iteration is where we really start to get uh, a split happening around the planet. The fourth iteration in agriculture in North America and South America is the era of biotechnology. In other words, when genetic engineering hit agriculture and we started to figure out genomic sequencing and the ability to edit genes to do certain things, it really changed our ability 
uh, of how we were able to breed plants. See, when people hear the term GMO, they think it's some kind of ingredient. It's absolute nonsense. GMO is a really poor description for genetic engineering, whether it's cisgenics, transgenics, RNAi technology, gene silencing, gene editing, or now CRISPR-9 technology. These are all breeding methods that have built on mutagenesis and polypoloid and uh, open pollination and hybridization. So I think uh, I rode the school bus with polypoloid. Polypoloid. She got on, she got on, she got on the she bus. She was pretty, though, wasn't she? Well, I mean, we were great school. Well, I mean, your, your sight is always a little <laughs> bit off. But it, you know it, what you're talking about here, biotechnology, and obviously there's going to be people listening to this show. I've got a, I've got a friend, my buddy, uh, in, in, in Roanoke, Indiana. He's an he's a organic guy, and he's saying, man, I knew you were going to go down this road of biotechnology, but even the organic person, can rationally, I hope, listen to this show and say, you know, there are great benefits to biotechnology. So I got a question for the farmers that are listening to this show right now. Um, how many farmers want to spend more money on fertilizer next year? And I bet you nobody takes their hand off the wheel right now. Okay. How many wants to spend more money? How many farmers want to spend more money on pesticides next year? Nobody, nobody wants right. to spend more money. So the only technology that I see right now that it would allow us to spend less money on fertilizer and chemical is, in fact, bioengineering. In fact, bioengineering would allow us to farm more organically. So if the organic camp wasn't against genetic engineering, right. the future of agriculture actually is GMO, genetically modified organic farming. There's a brain stretch for you. You know, and I, I've said, uh, and people on both sides of the fence get mad at me, whether they're from the conventional or from the organic side, I've said, you know what? The future of this whole thing is, is coming going, together. Is going to use both of them. Yeah. Because there's great things about organic food production. First off, they're big on pushing organic matter in the soil. Well, hell yes, we need Crop that. rotation, cover the, crops, microflora. We can learn all of that from organic. Organic people are doing things that were done for good reasons. And the thing is, if you put your head in the sand and say, well, that's all we ever need, you're not going to get to the bushels, the pounds, or the production that we need if you don't say organic practices, yes, but also biotechnology and innovation for these things. I think you're right that GMO eventually becomes genetically modified and organic. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Yeah. So uh, tell me a little bit more about the biotech on four, and then we go to five. Well, uh, so we've got the iterations. We've got the era of uh, muscle, machine, and chemistry, and biotechnology. And I would argue that the fifth iteration of agriculture we're living in right now is called the era of uh, convergence. It's where all of these technologies are coming together. And we're going to have a little chat around that. So um, everywhere you go today, you're inundated uh, with things and terminology that we're trying to grapple with. Uh, machine learning, artificial intelligence, data management, sensory technology, Wi-Fi, wide area meshes, uh, 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 self-driving machinery, robotics. Uh, sensory technology, all of this stuff is coming down. And in my first book that I wrote, which was called The Ag Manifesto, which is uh, 10 key drivers to shape ag in the next decade, I spoke about these drivers in, in, as silos, but what I'm realizing is they don't exist in isolation. They're all jamming together faster than you can ever imagine. So we're building on genomic sequencing. We're integrating um, more uh, machinery uh, into uh, auto autonomous driving vehicles. 
Um, the uh, the computing power keeps exploding into the next iteration of computing, which is quantum computing. Can you imagine throwing quantum computing uh, power against the Haber-Bosch process to try to figure out how to do that differently or utilize quantum computing to attack genetics so that a wheat crop could actually fix its own nitrogen? Oh, my God. Like, that's where we're headed. Okay. Where do you think let's go let's work backwards here, mm. Mr. Syke. Okay, you're listening to the Business of Agriculture Podcast with me, your host, Damian Mason, and my guest is Rob Syke. In case you somehow stepped away a second time and forgot what you were listening to. We're talking about agriculture 5.0 and where this goes for our industry. Here's the thing. Convergence is the fifth point. I think that's a brilliant, brilliant point. And I would say this: where are we on convergence? Are we 5% of the way there? Are we 10% of the way there? How well have we converged steps one through four, being muscle, machinery, chemistry, and biotechnology? Well, there's a lot of things going on right now that I'm, I'm uh, excited about and, and uh, concerned about. So, for example, the term precision agriculture, if I was to throw that out, that is a really uh, nebulous term. Uh, it's almost as bad as the word sustainable, whatever the hell that means. It means something different to everybody. If you asked 100 people... What is sustainable? You get 100 different answers. And to the consumer that is at Whole Foods, it's going to mean organic, organic. You're going to say, okay, and I can tell you why that's not sustainable. And if you ask the person that's a conventional agriculture producer, they're going to say minimum or no-till or something like that. Doing as little as possible, using as few resources as possible to get the biggest amount of output. I agree with you. So convergence, we can use so, this. So these we take, if we take pre- precision agriculture, for example, and this is one of my concerns right now as we're moving along, a lot of farmers are being attracted to precision agriculture and the new technology. I, if you, if you, did you have magpies on your farm? Uh, those are a Western bird. We don't. All right. So magpies are attracted to shiny objects. I feel a lot of farmers are attracted to shiny objects called precision agriculture right now, but. I'm concerned also about the fundamentals of agriculture, fundamental agronomy. So I've said for a long time right now, Damien, that poor agronomy plus precision agriculture equals poor agronomy precisely applied. <laughs> so I'm say, very concerned about that. When you that say right. poor agronomy, you mean poor utilization of resources? So I was with some farmers in Boone, Iowa, mm-hmm. right? And they, they say, what do you all Canadians know about growing corn? I said, well, how much corn you guys growing? They go 220, 250. And I said, well, we're hitting 300 to 330 in Canada. And, and then I start asking, well, you know, what are you doing for your nutritional balance and stuff? And then they got this uh, chlorosis in the upper part of the corn. And I said, well, what's wrong with the corn? They said, God, be nitrogen. I said, well, no, bottom leaves are good. Uh, they're green, top leaves are yellow. That's not nitrogen. That's a sulfur deficiency. That's what I'm talking about when I talk about good agronomy. We have to apply precision agriculture with good agronomy. And I, that's, why I'm, that's why I'm excited and concerned, but a great opportunity around this word called convergence. It's about taking all of these technologies and putting them together uh, in a high-tech, high-touch kind of way. All right, so here's my question. I agree with what you're saying completely, and uh, we already can go through again and again and again. Uh, for instance, those, those things coming together. You talked about chemistry. We're putting on a lot less 2,4-D per acre than we did in 1955 when 2,4-D was this new shiny chemical because we're better with our GPS. We're better with our uh, knowing where it needs to be. We're, we're, we're great at that. So I agree on all the things about convergence. You said our five iterations in the 10,000 years of agricultural innovation since we first cultivated the land and, and sowed the seeds Muscle, machinery, chemistry, 
biotechnology, and convergence of all of the above. Does muscle go away? It has. I think for the most part, we're seeing an exodus of muscle on the farm. Uh, one of my concerns about farmers today is that physical inactivity. Uh, I think that there's, you know, uh, a concern. We used to, uh, when I was growing up on the farm, we had four meals a day. Uh, we had breakfast and then you'd have lunch and then you'd have dinner and you'd have supper. Or it'd be breakfast, dinner, lunch and supper and then you'd have coffee and cake at nighttime. Because everybody worked physically hard. And today that's not the case because machinery and this convergence technology think, is taking I, over. I think if I look out at some of my audiences, I can see a lot of my crowd is still having four meals a day. But, <laughs> but, but there may be... Well, not. It's, it's a valid... But, but it's a symptomology of, of us... Uh, in agriculture, being this hard work and get up in the morning, drive hard type of uh, 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 population, which we are. We work very, very hard, um, but that work, uh, physical work has been replaced by mental work right now. Yeah, and I mean, uh, you know, driving a tractor that can haul a 1,400-pound round bale of hay. We're going to get in trouble over this part. You know that. Is 1,400-pound bale of hay on a tractor is probably a hell of a lot easier than throwing off squares. two two small uh, two bale two wagons of uh, small squares. Okay, so muscle probably goes away. Machinery keeps getting better, and also well, the muscle is an interesting one. So, what are the problems right now in the orchard industry? What's the problem in the vegetable industry? The problem is labor, right? Yeah. So, what's going on? Well, they're investigating. It's no accident that John Deere bought, bought Blue River Technology for what three hundred million dollars. Like, yeah. what the hell was that all about? Well, that is all about convergence. It's about the replacement of chemistry through sensor technology, or the replacement of labor through culling the lettuce plants down to the correct plant stand. Uh, that's all uh, Blue River technology uh, replacing labor and chemistry, actually. Yeah, so we're going to use less and less. It's almost as though we're using less and less. The great point that you make here in Agriculture 5.0, and I guess the point I would draw from it, is we're using less and less of the first building block, which is muscle. We're also using less and less of the second one, which is machinery. Well, the machines are going to go down in size. Uh, we, we talk about having a 120-foot sprayer with one operator on it. What's wrong with having uh, 12, 10-foot sprayers with no operator on it? Well, that's the thing that a lot of people are going to say, wait a minute, you just took my job away. I'm a sprayer operator. And you're saying, what? Yeah, what if it ends up being that a person sits at their desk and has 500 10-foot yeah, sprayers. They become technical operators of swarms. Uh, and then this is, I'm not making this up. I mean, uh, this swarm technology is uh, going on in Australia right now. I think if you uh, Googled uh, farm swarm, actually, uh, they I came across them in Perth, Australia. Uh, they were the ones running three-wheeled uh, sprayer units across uh uh, the land during the uh, the idle season to spray out weeds in, so we, in the summer. Fall. We use less and less muscle. Yeah. We're even using less machines or lesser machines. Mm -hmm. You know, when you think about it, look what GMOs did. I point this out all the time, that when I was a kid, you plowed, then you dissed, then you field cultivated, then you field cultivated sometimes a fourth. You went over that. It was already fourth, fourth then time. Then you planted, then, then you, you harrowed. Then you planted, then you harrowed, <laughs> yes. then you ran a cultivator through the rows, then you sprayed it. And you might have you might have ran a roller over that after. And, and yep. you're talking about going over these fields, and that's even before you ever harvested a crop. And so you're talking about nine, ten, eleven times. Going Today over we're a one field. past seeding. We're one past seeding. We're one past spring. We're one past harvesting. You're going over a field three times, or as it used to be, maybe nine times. Yep. So we're using. You talk about these tractors. Uh, look around. They're getting a lot less hours. 
per acre. So that's all good. We're using them less. Chemistry, frankly, you and I just talked about it. We're using less chemistry per acre than we did because it's better applied. And I just want to comment on that. I mean, if you if you look at the statistics about the pounds of chemistry used in America over the last 20 years, uh, the pounds of herbicide have gone up because we're using more glyphosate. Uh, the yields have gone up, uh, but we're spraying, spraying glyphosate twice. And people will say, oh my God, we're using more herbicide. Yeah, you're using more glyphosate. But just think about the atrazine is displaced. Think about the 2,4-D is displaced. Think about all of the toxicity is displaced. So yeah, uh, glyphosate has gone up in pounds of use, but toxicity per acre has gone way, way, way down. And the screaming example of that, the best example is actually BT cotton corn soybeans which drop the insecticide sprays um, across America dramatically yeah the uh, no offense to our friends that make the product but you know I remember a, a insecticide called counter and I believe that that's been I I used to I used to treat canola seed with counter I used to wear a mask to, to, to the point where I just about puked to treat and canola seed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, it's, there's, there's some bad stuff that we don't handle near as much of. All right, talking to Rob Syke here on the Business of Agriculture podcast, talking about Agriculture 5.0. 10,000 years of human advancement because of agriculture. First iteration, muscle. Second, machinery. Third, chemistry. Fourth, biotechnology. Fifth, convergence, meaning bringing them all together. Are you noticing a theme here? For about 9,800 years, it was muscle. For the last couple hundred years, it was machinery. Think Eli Whitney. Think Mr. McCormick. Think about the advancements just since the Industrial Revolution of 200 years ago, and then chemistry. Really, we're talking Norman Borlaug. We're mm -hmm. talking we're talking advancement of uh, nitrogen fixation, or better yet, nitrogen utilization. We're talking about, like you said, chemicals like 2,4-D. Then we're talking about biotechnology, which really, I think, 1996. Yeah. I'd say 1996 yeah. is the year of that. And now we're talking about convergence. Look at how amazingly this has all come together in rapid fashion just in either the last 200 years, or I would even say it in the it's last... It's happening faster. It's like an exponential curve that's hitting agriculture right now. It's happening, and it's happening quicker, which is one of the reasons that farmers are tired. There's a lot hitting agriculture today. Think about it. Nothing changed all that much oh, yeah. for 9,800 years. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we got a little better You get up in the morning, and you may go plow the field with the oxen, and you do that for two months. You know, it, and, and the things are happening so fast today, right? All right. We can't spend all day. You and I have... Have other things to discuss, but while we're wrapping up this podcast, where does it all go? Agriculture 5.0. It's going to be your next book. Tell me what else. Closing thoughts. Well, I, I'm I'm curious about this. Uh, when you consider uh, farmers of consequence in North America, they say that two percent of uh, the population in North America grows the food for a you know for the rest. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a that's a skewed number. I would argue that it's about. Uh, 0.25% of the population that are farmers of consequence. In, in America, you put, fit them all in a football field. And in Canada, you jam them all in a big hockey rink. That's really the perspective of the farmers of consequence. And those farmers have... And by the way, if you're listening to this and you're saying, oh, that's offensive. No, let's be realistic. That is, that's real. In the USDA, National, North America, you know, I'll just give you the, uh, the Agriculture Statistics Service has a number. And it's real simple. 
Almost 60% of United States farmers do not sell $10,000 worth of product per year. Put that in perspective. Almost 60% of our farmers in the United States of America do not sell $10,000 worth of product. So to say farmers of consequence, we're not belittling someone with a farmer's market carrot patch. What we're saying is they don't feed that many. And we're talking here about... We're talking about farmers of consequence or or commercial size growers. People say, well, corporate farms. Well, most farms today that are uh, farms of consequence are incorporated. Most of them are run by families or family corporations. You'd be a fool not to have your farm incorporated these days. I mean, that's natural. That's what is it, business of agriculture. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a business arrangement. It has nothing to do with So why you ask me where we're headed on where this. Where are we headed? Well, I, I, I think where we're headed is uh, we're, we're headed to an amazing time of creativity in agriculture. I think that we're going to see vertical farms growing up, uh, growing vegetables that are high in water, uh, produce that's high in water, close to the point of consumption, like a big Panasonic uh, 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 vertical and, and indoor farms in Singapore, growing uh, vegetables for the Singaporean people. So I, I think that that's going to happen. I think that we're going to find how to utilize our chemistry better and better. I think we're going to break the genetic code on a lot of crops that would allow us to extract nutrients better from the soil. Uh, self-fixing, self-nitrogen-fixing crops are, are something that are very, very interesting you to me. You imagine a day when those nasty anhydrous wagons, and I'm not being mean to you people that sell it. I know it's part of your business, but you know what? That stuff scares me. I get scared. I'm going to lose my eyesight every time I see one of those. You imagine the day that we don't have those things out there because of convergence of biotechnology, chemistry, machinery, and muscle. Can you absolutely, absolutely. So where I'm going, and again, getting back to the listeners on this call, I'm, I'm really struggling with whether to call the book Agriculture 5.0 or Food 5.0 because I'm trying to figure out what's important to the consumer. Which book would they read? And then the byline, I think, would be like a a manifesto on convergence on the farm because convergence on the farm most people do not understand how technically apt how technically sophisticated farmers are these days most people would not and I would argue uh, that the average person on the street would never be able to run a farm they would never be able to tackle the technical complexity of running a farm dealing with shape files dealing with multiple displays in the screen uh, downloading yield map data trying to deal with all the data. not to mention just the basics of uh, what you do in May versus what you do in August versus what you do here and there all right talking to Rob Syke agriculture 5.0 I'm going to call it Agriculture 5.0, the future of food. Or I'd call it Agriculture 5.0, the past, present, and future of food. There you go. I like anyway, that. you weigh in, send me an email, send him an email, comment on this blog post, or I'm sorry, this podcast post, whatever you want to do. You can always find Rob. Tell him how to find you, Mr. Rob Syke. Right. So you can go to uh, Robert Syke, that's S-A-I-K, robertsyke.com. You can find me there. You can find me at agritrend.com. And you, if you want to have some real fun on the whole genetic side, you can go to uh, uh, No Ideas, that's K-N-O-W, No Ideas Media on YouTube or Facebook, where uh, we are doing some fantastic... I'm going to have to get you to interview my son you also, you also have a tremendous social media following. Tell them how to find you on Twitter and uh, other places. Yeah, on Twitter you can find me at R-S-A-I-K, at R-S-A-I-K.
on at Twitter. R-S-A-I-K. Right You've been listening to the Business of Agriculture podcast with me, your host, Damian Mason. Been talking to Rob Syke. It's been fun, Damian. Ag innovator, entrepreneur. We had a live audience today. We had a live audience for the first time in the history of recording this. Lori and Lori. I hope that you think about this. Agriculture 5.0. You know what? I hope you think about it. I hope that it actually impacts your decisions. And you know what? You're saying to yourself right now, I'm really glad I tuned in. Well, maybe that will give you some context as to where we are and where we're going. I hope it helps. All right. Thanks for joining us. Till next time, I'm out. Thanks, Rob. Thank you.